and we are back. Oh my god, are we back. That last weekend, that pay-per-view, it's Hannah and Emily Wrestle Podcast. My name is Annalise. We are here to, on a Saturday afternoon with the sunshine and everything, to continue to bask in the glory of last week's Double or Nothing. Emily, have you come down yet? Well, I am descending from the rafters right now. <laughs> yes, it is. It is the greatest appeal <laughs> of all time. It is Emily the Emily the Raven. She is the Vicar of Doom, the Reverend of Destruction, and the co-holder of the only eight-star match in history, and my co-host. You're so lucky to have me. Let me just say that. <laughs> I, I really am. I really am. I would not be able to replace you with anybody. Oh, that's not, nice. Not even your, love, your lovely husband. Well, and you, you two are irreplaceable. So I'm glad. Good thing, good thing we got together for this show. <laughs> I know it's been so much fun. Thirty-one episodes. We keep going. Yeah. We are here primarily to talk about Double or Nothing and the fallout of Double or Nothing. And the first question I have for you, Emily, was how much fun did you have <clears throat> watching this very long pay per view? Well, I had so much fun that I watched almost the whole pay-per-view for a second time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't usually do that. Yep. This was was a really fun show. I don't think we had any all-time classic matches with possibly one exception. But this show was... I think as we thought it was going to be the most fun wrestling wrestling show we've had in, in a while. Not the best, but I don't remember having as much fun even watching better stuff. Because sometimes things don't have to be like perfect all-time classics to have a ton of fun. And this was a fuck ton of fun. I'm so happy with this pay-per-view. Um, Shall we just go through it and start? Yeah. All right. Let's go through it and let's 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 again remind everyone we are going to, as quickly as we can, talk about all of these matches. Give them our own personal ratings. We have our own star rating systems, each of us. And unlike Dave Meltzer, we have our rubrics. I did <laughs> not have a five star match on this card. Did you? No, I did not. Yeah, that's we we didn't have anything close to Punk and MJF but we did have some good shit to talk about. And let's start with what everyone was asking for, what everyone wants, what everyone needs. No, it's not head. It's Hookhausen. (laughs) In a five-minute and 20-second match against Tony Nese and Smart Mark Sterling, um, I I have mixed feelings about this match. How did you feel about this match, Emily? You know, I just really thought this was a uh, crowd-pleaser kind of opening match. You know, I really wanted a slightly different uh, ending to this, but, you know, it... I think think it was fine. I, I really do. And I think that the one thing that I will say about the uh, pre-show is it was 
majority promos and just this match. And mm -hmm. I really wonder if the pre-show could have used an additional match, like a women's match. Um, but this was a very packed show, so I do kind of get why <clears throat> we just had this really short uh, teaser. So, If I were to reorganize this show, I would have started the pre-show off with the match between Kyle O'Reilly and Darby Allen, And I yeah. would have ended the pre-show with this comedy match. And yeah. I, think, I think that put... I don't want to move any of these women's matches to the pre-show that we're going to talk about because I think that one of them got shorted, which was unfortunate because it could have been the best match on the card. We'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I did not like the ending of this match. I didn't uh, did not like Danhausen putting his foot on Mark Sterling and flexing for the pin. I didn't enjoy that. I did not enjoy the fact that Danhausen and Hook didn't have a combination tag team move to win as a tag team. Mm -hmm. You had enough time to set something up. So the whole match up until the last minute, and it was only five minutes and 20 seconds long, was very fun. And the last minute dropped it from a three-star match to a 1.75-star match for me. Like, I don't want to watch this match again. I want to watch Hookhausen again. I like Tony Nese and Mark Sterling quite a bit. I think they're both really good. But I don't want to rewatch this match because I was so mad at the way that they did the ending. I'm like, this doesn't feel like a tag team match to me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we know I have very strong opinions on tag team wrestling. As most people do. Except yeah. for Vince McMahon, who doesn't seem to think it exists. <laughs> <sighs> the rest of the pre-show was great. It's, it's a great buy-in. I like the concept of the buy-in. I like that it's up on YouTube. I like that people can get it easily. I like that people uh, can have it. And this is also a good time to talk about the problems that people were having with Bleacher Report, which they did fix as the show was going on. Um, but this is, again, one of those things about... We have to remember AEW is still a young company, and they are still very much working out the kinks. And so those technical mistakes happen. The one positive thing you can say for most of WWE is their technical polish is polished. That's it. That's all you can say positive for them. <laughs> well, and isn't this really an issue with Bleacher Report and not yep. uh, AEW? Because it is. You know, if we could get Fight TV without having a VPN um, in the U.S., you know, that would be <clears throat> amazing. Yep. And I actually ended up purchasing the pay-per-view. I tried to purchase it through Bleacher Report, and there was a period before the show started where there wasn't even a button where you could mm -hmm. purchase it. Um, and there, <clears throat> there were all kinds of uh, other issues going on. So I just purchased it through Sling, which is what I use to watch um, AEW. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So I, I, yeah, they got to work this stuff out. They got to talk to their partners and, and be like, come on, don't fuck us like this. All right. We move on to the opening match and we will get to all of the stuff that happened this weekend um, with, with these, with this particular wrestler, but we got probably the best pay-per-view squash match 
in a while. Uh, MJF came out. He hilariously imitated an airplane, and we'll talk <laughs> about that later. And <clears throat> as his intro was ending, and then out came Wardlow for a really good and fun squash match. And this is again where we have to praise Bryce Remsburg because the whole spot with the diamond ring as MJF was pulling it out of his trunks and Remsburg and Wardlow were standing over him and Remsburg reaches down and grabs the ring. <laughs> and I fucking love Bryce Remsburg. I fucking love Audrey, Audrey Edwards. The refs in AEW are so good and they are such an integral part of the story. We, we talk about our Twitter becoming a Jade Cargill stan account. We could easily become a Bryce Remsburg stan account because he is so good. He is such a great referee. He is so useful in the storytelling. I love everything he does. And I wish other companies, <coughs> WWE, would actually like acknowledge the fucking referees because they have some great ones too. Um, and they don't. They don't even. They don't even get names on commentary. <sighs> yeah, this was great. This this was wonderful. This was this this will play into something we're going to talk about later. How did you feel about this squash match? So I loved it, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, I there was a little part of me that I hated to see uh, MJF suffering because I could see on his face that you know he wasn't just selling <laughs> that the. Uh, <clears throat> the power bombs were stacking up on him. And uh, so there's a part of me that feels a little, a little guilty <laughs> enjoying it as much as I did because he didn't really get a break from those the way, you know, you would in a typical match. Um, but it, it was, it was such an incredible payoff to, uh, you know, couple year long storyline mm -hmm. so um <clears throat> and you know that's really one of the AEW does such an excellent job creating these complex lengthy stories that you get to kind of like live out with the wrestlers like as someone watching it and that's really cool so mm -hmm. yeah Awesome, awesome match. I loved everything about it, um, with the exception of the very end, as they put the oxygen mask over MJF's eyes. <laughs> yeah, Come that on. bothered a Come, lot of people. <laughs> Come on, stop that shit. All right, this was, this was a three-star match for me. Did you have a star rating for this? You know, I think I think this one kind of exists outside of the star rating for me because it really is a conclusion uh, to the story in a in a really different way than matches typically are. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's hard for me to rate this one because in terms of the storytelling, I could easily give this like you know a four point five, but in terms of like what actually happened in the match and so that's kind of where i'm not sure where this would fall for me so i i think i will give it a 3.75 mm -hmm. 
Okay. The overall story for the overall story for me is one that I that has had had to grow on me because I hate these like heel splits and the way they do them normally. Not AW, but the way they are normally done in all of wrestling, of a heel turning face on their compadres. I usually don't like it. Um, I think they did this perfectly. I think they did this as well as it could have been done. I don't think I've seen a better heel turn face. Uh, and this eclipses the previous heel turn face of Batista turning on Triple H. Which is a long fucking time ago when that <laughs> happened. Um, so this this was really good. This is really good. The story itself was like you know, perfect. Five stars. But this match is a squash match, and I can't give a squash match higher than a, free, than a three. It's a mm-hmm. really good squash match. Yeah, it is the se- It is the best pay-per-view squash match of all time. It is the second best squash match of all time. The best squash match of all time is Roderick Strong and Kurt Angle. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up if you've never seen Roderick Strong show up on SmackDown and slapping Kurt Angle and running. It's really amazing. Um... Number th- the, the the next match was the match that was being billed as a dream match, which is kind of pretending it's never happened before, except it's happened a lot of times. It's the Hardys versus the Young Bucks. Um, this was pretty much everything we thought it was going to be, and everyone kind of noticed how something was off. We, of course, found out why something was off. Jeff got his bell rung early on in the match. And still somehow managed to finish the match. According to Matt Hardy, Jeff doesn't remember the match. Mm-hmm. And this is why he was uh, off of uh, the match that was advertised for Dynamite on Wednesday. Um, again, Jeff, please be more careful in the ring. Please. <laughs> Pretty please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this match was a bit was a bit messy. It was it was very well to, well put together, well told, and well done, but it was a bit messy because of that, and it was noticeable. Although we didn't know Jeff had had his bell ring rung at the time. How did you find this match? Em? I, you know, I thought it was entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't a huge standout to me, but it w- it was good. It was a solid match. You mm-hmm. know. It was the chemistry that the Hardys and the Bucks have had before in some of their previous battles wasn't quite there. If you've seen mm-hmm. the Ring of Honor match from uh, uh, 2017, right before the Hardys redebuted in WWE, that was amazing. That was also a ladder match that helps. Um, but this was this was fine. This was this this was what we wanted. Um, and it allows the teams to move off into other things. I'm kind of interested in where they go from here. I'm kind of interested in the Hardys having a match with FTR. I'm kind of interested in the Bucks. I'm, okay, I'm interested in everyone having a match with FTR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right now. Uh, but yeah, this, this was great. This was, this was good. This was, this was a three-star match for me. So far, yeah, three stars. It was good. It was good. It was entertaining. I was entertained, and I was I was pro wrestling entertained. I wasn't sports entertained. Yes. Yeah. How about you? 
Yeah. I I would agree. Three stars? Mm, yeah. You know what? I think I think three stars. Yep. Next we have the match for the AEW TBS championship. It's Jade Cargill and Anna J. The match that had zero build. One of two matches that had zero build on this show. And it definitely outperformed the build. Yes. A lot of other people did not like this match. I liked this match a lot. Yeah. I thought I thought the pay-per-view started here. Um because we got a, we got a, we got a comedy match, a squash match, a fun okay tag team match, good tag team match. I thought if they had been given 12 minutes, this could have been great. Um, but they were only given seven and a half minutes. And I thought Anna Jay and Jade Cargill told a really great story in the time they had. And what I don't like about this match, because I like what ended up happening, but I don't like this match was used to do that because I don't think that it puts Jade and Anna on the pedestal that they should be on for having for doing good matches. Um, I like that Anna Jay got in some serious offense and surprised Jade Cargill a couple of times, because I think we are building to, at some point, Jade Cargill's going to lose. Mm-hmm. And then out comes Stokely Hathaway. Fucking awesome. I'm yes. so glad he turned down his main roster WWE contract. Uh, as Malcolm Bivens, and I'm so glad he's going to be in AEW managing. I'm glad he's going to be starting managing Jade Cargill. I'm also glad that Mark Sterling's going to continue to be Jade Cargill's attorney. Yes. But it's a huge upgrade to have Stokely Hathaway managing Jade Cargill, because as good as Mark Sterling is, he is not the best talker. Stokely Hathaway is one of the best talkers. He is, he is, he is cut from the same cloth as a Bobby Heenan and a Paul Heyman. And that is the highest praise you can give to any manager is to say that they, they could be the next Bobby Heenan. They could be the next Paul Heyman. Um, I, I love Stokely Hathaway. I love everything he does. And then out comes the debut that we have been waiting for in this podcast for months. Mm-hmm. Say it. I'm letting you have it. <laughs> Athena. Yes. <laughs> Athena oh. is in is all elite. We're so happy. Athena Palmer is all elite. And she came out to stand with the baby faces of Anna Jay and Chris Statlander. Fantastic. Wonderful. Love it. Love Athena. Best finisher ever in the history of pro- professional wrestling. One of the hardest finishers to hit. And she hits it more times than she misses it. Um, it's it's just the best. Uh, so glad to have her there, and she is the perfect challenger for Jade Cargill. She is the perfect person to possibly dethrone Jane Cargill. I don't think she needs to, because she's going to be over without it. But she's actually on TV in a promotion that's going to feature her, not have her chasing after the fucking twenty four seven championship and tearing her Achilles heel doing it. Fuck you, WWE. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
this match was good. This match, this match has been given the 12 minutes. I don't think Jade Car- Cargill is at the point where she can do more than a 10 to 15 minute match um, and keep it consistent. She's mm. going to get there eventually. Remember, she's only been doing this for two years and she's fucking amazing. And not for someone who's been doing it for two years. She's fucking amazing, period. Um, but she's going to get better. And I think in the next two or three years, we're going to see Jade Cargill have 20-minute classics. Yeah, I would As love she that. continues to get better. But I think that she and Anna Jay could have put on a, a really good 12-minute match. As it was, three and a half stars. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, really, it wouldn't have lost anything for the Hardys and Young Bucks match to be shorter, especially mm-hmm. since this was a title match, which really deserves longer than, you know, the just barely over seven minutes that it got, especially with the interference, which took the camera off of what was happening in the ring, which, you know, was really a shame. Thank and, you for reminding me about the interference. Yeah, so I think given the fact that they had planned that interference, that this really should have been at least a 10 to 11 minute match. And Jade could, abs- you know, both of these wrestlers could absolutely do that. And so that would be my my booking complaint for this, is that Hardy's and Young Bucks should have been shorter. And this match should have been three to four minutes longer. Can and we give can we give John Silver though some super credit because that fucking popped me. Yeah, John Silver should be Anna Jay's like permanent manager. Whenever Anna Jay is out representing the Dark Order, John Silver should be in her corner because he's another guy. While he's great in the ring, and I love John Silver wrestling, he's also a great corner man. He's so expressive, and he—you can't—you—you you look at him. He adds to the match. He doesn't detract from it. I loved his inter- I loved his running in to stop the interference of the baddies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Plus, the Dark Order is just great. They're just the best, except for Ten, who's a dick. <laughs> ten went. Ten went on the Ethan Page toy hunt vlog, and he just trashed people who like toys. Oh. He was he was just a dick in the toy store the whole fucking time. And I, I actually commented on Ethan Page on one of the blogs and said, I will comment on every on every on every vlog you ever do and like it if you promise never to have ten on again. And Ethan Page liked my comments. Wow. <laughs> he was just a dick. He was just a dick the whole time. Ugh. So I, I'm done with ten, but the rest of the Dark Order I love. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I love this match. I love these debuts. I think we could have done them a little bit differently, but I think Stokely Hathaway is going to be great. I hope he can build a good stable because he was building a pretty good stable in NXT before NXT got ruined. Um, yeah this this was this was this was solid, and I agree. The Hardys could have gone 15 minutes, and we would have had four more minutes for Jade and Anna to actually have a really good match. Mm-hmm. So this match kicked off the pay-per-view. The next match paid off another piece of long-term uh, booking. Yes. House of Black and Death Triangle. This was awesome. House of Black's entrance 
is currently the best entrance in pro wrestling. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the way in which Malachi, Buddy, and Brody all complement each other, the way in which I loved the ashen faces, I loved all the imagery that they were doing, I loved everything about their whole presentation, I loved their cohesion as a tag team. Death Triangle, first of all, sorry, but Baby Penta was the best thing. <laughs> That was so fucking adorable. Yeah, that was, that was so cute. So cute. And I love... I, I, I'm so glad Ray Phoenix is fine after that terrible table spot and when the um, Lucha Brothers lost the tag titles. I'm so glad he's back. Uh, I love the whole dynamic between these two teams. Six great wrestlers. Two great teams. Both good, good candidates for first trios championship. And I would have liked more Alex Abrahantes because he didn't ever say Penta says. And I'm just, that, that's kind of what I live for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Alex Abrahantes. I loved everything in this match. I loved everything about this match. And we finally, we finally got the payoff of Julia Hart. Lights go down. Julia Hart shows up, spits black mist in, in Pac's face, and yeah. She is she is part of the House of Black. I love it. I love everything about it. Because I think that her cheerleader gimmick in the Varsity Blondes was terrible. Now she's badass. <laughs> and I'm I'm in favor of it. How did you feel about this whole match? I really, 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 really enjoyed it, and the the payoff with uh, Julia was basically exactly what I wanted. And yeah, I this was extremely well done for me. Yep. And I would give this a a four point two five. I'll take that rating. This was this was a great trios match. This is a great payoff to the story. I hope that that in this new role, Julia Hart will be do, doing more wrestling with either Brody King acting as her bodyguard or Buddy Matthews acting as her manager because Julia Hart has not wrestled enough. And she's very talented. She's very green, but she's very talented. I've watched a couple of her matches on Dark and Dark Elevation. And I'm like, mm, there's some real sloppiness here, but there's some real talent here too. So I'm really hopeful uh, this is going to give her more time to learn from three of the best as she's going to be working with them. And more time to be an interesting character other than, you know, I'm sorry, a cheerleader. There's only one cheerleader in wrestling, and she's awesome. It's cheerleader Melissa, right? <laughs> Shimmer fans out there, come on. Yes, yes. She's fucking awesome. Um, and we don't need more cheerleader characters. You can if you want. But yeah, I'm happy. This is what I wanted. This is great. And I I'd completely forgotten about it. And when the lights went down, I had no idea what was happening. And then she was in the ring. And I'm like, <gasps> All right. We now have the Owens Hart uh, tournament finals. 
Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe was first. And I, first of all, two things. That the women's final went on second and the men's final went on first, great. Because mm. we all know in wrestling what goes on next is more important than what went on first. And that the women's final got more time than the men's final by a full minute. Yeah. Good booking. And Adam Cole and Samojo don't need more than 12 minutes. This was an excellent class of, class of styles match in which Cole outsmarted Joe the entire fucking match and won. Clean. It was a clean win. Some interference from Bobby Fish, but the interference did not amount to much. Thoughts, Sam? Yeah, this didn't go the way... Uh, you know, neither one of these matches went the way I wanted them to go or thought they would go. Mm-hmm. And... I have to say that for for both of these, I'm kind. I guess I'm kind of packaging these together. But um, the comment I have is is the same for both of them. I was really disappointed that Adam Cole and Britt Baker were both in pink gear because I knew immediately they were going to win because of that gear, and it really telegraphed it. And I wish that they had. If they were going to do pink, they would have done it for everyone everyone is really what should have happened. And so it really spoiled, you know, I still got into the matches, enjoyed them, thought they were well done, loved, you know, the concept and what this means to, you know, um, Owen Hart's legacy and, you know, Dr. Hart and their family. But it was, it was a little hard for me to, like, I, ha- I had to work to look past the, yeah. the pink ring gear. So I couldn't look past Shawn Michaels guy, Adam Cole, wearing heart family pink. That was so incongruous for me, especially after the quarterfinal match between Adam Cole and Dax Harwood where basically Dax was cosplaying Bret Hart and Adam Cole was cosplaying Shawn Michaels. Mm. I mean, there was so that, that was, that was such a good match because of those reasons and knowing how much the Shawn Michaels guy, Adam Cole is, uh, this, that kind of took me out of it with the pink as well. And I agree with you. The pink definitely telegraphed who is winning, but to be fair, I can see Adam Cole and Britt Baker wearing pink. I cannot see ever <laughs> Samoa Joe and Ruby Soho wearing pink. They're just—it's just not their colors. It's just not their colors. Well, um, I mean, I could see it just for this. Like, yeah. typically, typically, yeah, I would, I would totally agree with you. But you know, and honestly, Britt Baker's gear has done this in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, telegraphed through the use of silver and gold in her in her gear, and so I think you know they need to be careful about that and kind of rethink how yeah. they do that in the future. Because if you have someone like me that notices every single detail, <laughs> which is going to be a fair number of wrestling fans, because 
and the gear is an important part of the story and the match as well. So, you know, yeah. Um, but also, I do want to say, uh, th- you know, even all of that said, it these were very satisfying uh, to me as a longtime wrestling fan. And thinking about the wider context of what, you know, um, Owen Hart's family was put through. Um, and the, it, it was a very happy moment for me to, mm-hmm. to, see, to see this uh, happen. And I will always pop for Adam Cole and Britt Baker's real-life relationship being on screen. Because I, and I don't normally like this shit, but their relationship just is so genuine that I don't think it's staging anything. Um, it's mm-hmm. really, I find it really fucking adorable. And you know how hard it is to get me into straight relationships. <laughs> it's like, but it's so, it's so adorable. And they're so, they're so cute together. Yeah. I can't, I can't help myself. I'm just like, oh, you're, you're, you're both cute. And they were clearly overjoyed to have those belts. And mm-hmm. they they were clearly overjoyed to be doing things they're doing. And I think them having those belts as heel props is going to be a lot of fun storytelling going forward. And then having them either retain them or drop them next year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm excited this is going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, even though neither one of these uh, wrestlers was my pick for this, Mm -hmm. I do, I do really, you know, at an emotional level, love that it went to a couple and that, um, you know, Dr. Martha Hart was able to be a part of it and get and award this to a wrestling couple and you know what i mean because it's in it's in it's in honor of her husband's legacy and so i i really think that that was very sweet and really touching there are two more there are two more things to really talk about here though uh this was the ruby soho match we should have gotten before yeah because Ruby was much cleaner in this match than she was in her first match with, with Britt Baker. Ruby's really good. She's really fucking good. And this was the kind of stage she should have had for her debut. Um, she did win the, the Casino Battle Royal. But did you see on Twitter, and I think I retweeted this on our Twitter account, that the, the, cup, the cup belts are based off of the old Stampede Wrestling Championship? Yes, yes. That was I so l- cool. Such a nice touch. Um, overall, for the entire tournament, it's a four and a half star tournament. Would watch the whole thing again, both of them. Uh, overall, for these matches, they're both. I, I think that they're both about four star matches. Really solid, really good performances from all four competitors. What are your thoughts? Finally, as before we move on, because we've taken a long time. Because we knew we were going to take a long time. We're gushing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I give each one of these matches four stars. Yep. And now the piss break match. Yeah, I can't say I I honestly barely watched this match. Uh, mm-hmm. I you know um, we had American Top Team and uh, Frankie Kazarian, uh, Sammy and Ty, and in this you know six person mixed tag and. I can't say 
it really made any difference to me at all. Uh, I I did think that uh, I changed my mind on Paige Van Zant from this match and would mm-hmm. like to see more from her. And you know, as I said before, I do have a lot of respect for anyone that makes such a huge pivot and you know works on a on a new career and tries to bridge skills. So I I would like to see what she can do, but I don't want to see what she can do as part of American Top Team. I want to yep. see what she can do on her own. And I just, you know, Dan Lambert and the this whole Dan Lambert saga is a, a just... Just to, to me, you know, detracts from any show that that they're involved in, and that's sad, and that shouldn't be the case. And this is yeah. not, this is not like, um, you know, it, this is genuinely how I feel. Like I just, yep. you know, I can't get invested in disliking or seeing them as heels i just have no i just don't want to see them i have no investment at all this Uh, was a one-star stinker yeah the only good thing about this match was uh frankie kazarian like trying to walk away from it like he was the only one who realized this match shouldn't be happening (laughs) this match wasn't worth it i will say the Maleficent entrances from Sammy and Ty Conti were great. Yeah. And I want Sammy to wear that crow feather cloak all the time. <laughs> yes. I thought it looked really good on him. I thought Paige Van Sant showed some promise, but it was very clear the way she was booked with her interactions with Ty Conti that she wasn't ready to take any serious offense from Ty Conti. Right, right. Which and that pisses me off because Ty Conti is a legitimate badass. She is as legit a fighter as Paige Van Sant is. And the if there's any MMA fans who are hearing me say that, Ty Conti is is a very high level judoka and Brazilian jiu jitsu practitioner, practitioner. She is as serious as a fighter as serious fighters get. For Ty Conti to just be taking and selling Paige's offense, while I agree with you, Paige has potential, mm-hmm. she's still, to steal the phrase from Bubba Dudley, green as goose shit, and that's why Ty didn't put any offense in on Paige, because Paige isn't ready to take offense and learn how to sell properly. Um, she's going to ha- she's gonna have a, a road to get there. Am I interested in seeing her do more? Yes. Without Dan Lambert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Without and, and I want I want Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky because I think these men are fantastic, but their whole thing is with with America's top team is terrible. It's just it, it's awful. I love Scorpio Sky. I love Ethan Page, but as long as Dan Lambert is a part of this, as long as America's top team is is a part of this, I don't want to watch Scorpio Sky. Amazing wrestler, Ethan Page, amazing wrestler, Paige Van Sant, really talented with a lot of potential and a lot of upside. And this ruined Sammy Guevara. This match ruined Sammy Guevara. Mm. Not forever. He'll bounce back. He's great. 
but it was just a few months ago when we were talking about Sammy, Sammy Guevara having maybe the best ladder match of all time against Cody Rhodes. Yeah. To go from that, to go from that five plus star classic to this one star shit show. And this is the complete opposite of the, of the real life wrestling relationship we just talked about. Sammy and Ty are overdoing their relationship and it's sickening and they're heels. Adam and Britt are both heels and their relationship is there and pleasant and actually really works for their heel dynamic and doesn't make me want to turn away. I got disgusted watching Sammy and Ty. And I'm just like, you're both beautiful people and I should be very into your relationship and I don't fucking care. (laughs) I think... Go for it. I think I'm in the minority of just being really entertained by it. And I know what they're doing and I, I like it. I respect it. I, I, they're pushing a lot of buttons and they're trying something, you know, they're experimenting with how far they can take this. And I respect that. I, you know, I'm not into it. I'm not like, Oh, wow, they're so, this is so cool, or, or anything like that. I'm just sort of, hey, you know what? This is intriguing, because they are really going for something here, and in a really, it, and it really entertains me to, to see them experiment with how far they can take it. And so... Yeah, I guess I just I I guess I just kind of respect the trolling that they're doing, and I don't usually think like this, but this just is for right now intriguing, and you know maybe it'll reach a point where I'm like, okay, this is this has gone too far, but right now I'm just like, you know what, do it, just make people as uncomfortable as you can, and work it into your story. And, you know, yeah, it, it does distract from the quality of wrestlers that they are, but I'm willing to see where it goes and, you know, kind of see what, what the resolution to this is. So, but no fucking Dan Lambert. No, I'm just talking about Sammy and and Ty. Let's just get get rid of Dan Lambert though. So let's get get on to that and get rid of Dan Lambert. Yeah, right. absolutely. This is where the good, well, this wasn't good. This is shit. But fortunately, we were treated to the last five matches of this pay-per-view. And this is where the pay-per-view got great. Because each one of these last five matches is, in my, to my mind, four-plus stars. Um, I had so much fun the rest of the night that the very next match immediately washed all the bad taste out of my mouth, even though it was only given nine and a half minutes and it could have gone double that Kyle O'Reilly versus Darby Allen. Another match that had zero build, but just like Jade and Anna Jay did earlier in the night, Holy shit. Did they tell a good story with the time they were given? Yeah, absolutely. Kyle O'Reilly is one of my favorite, favorite wrestlers i love him in tag teams with anyone because he's a he's a phenomenal tag team wrestler he is severely underrated as a singles wrestler 
um, despite the fact that he's held major champions as a, major championships as a singles wrestler, but Kyle as as a he is he is a technical wizard in the ring. He is one of the best sellers in the ring. He makes sure the person that he's with looks like a million bucks, whether he's winning or losing. And his facials, his offense, and the way he approaches everything is so beautiful. Kyle O'Reilly is wrestling art form. Darby Allen is what Jeff Hardy would be if Jeff thought just a little bit more about what he's doing. Mm. I'm not saying Jeff Hardy's bad. Anyone listening to this, I think Jeff Hardy's great. He's one of my favorites of all time. But Darby Allen is Jeff Hardy with a little bit more planning and forethought. Hmm. And I love this match, and I wanted it to have more of a build and more time. I hope AEW revisits this down in the future. Um, but this was a this was a four star match. It, if if they did a twenty five minute match, it would be a five star. I think they hmm. could tell amazing stories in the ring. It's a great clash of styles because Kyle O'Reilly looks like he should be a high flyer. He's anything but. He rarely goes to the top rope. He doesn't do super flashy stuff. He he likes. He likes what I like to call cat wrestling. In fact, I've actually seen him get down and fight fight from his back with his feet. And it's great. It's it's one of my favorite things about the oh, way he wrestles. Oh, yeah. Okay, I totally see that. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 done he does so many cool things. And Darby is a high flyer. Darby is a risk taker and a daredevil. And the amazing thing about both of these guys is they can work with anyone else's styles. And this is so, this is why Darby is one of the pillars. This is why Darby is so fucking great in, in, in what he does is because he does really work for what's going on. And this, oh, I love this match. I want this match to be more, I want them to set it aside for right now. And I want them to revisit it later on with a proper story and a proper build. How did you think, what did you think about this match? Yeah, this is a, this was a solid four-star match for me. And it did take, I do have to say it took me a little bit to get into it because I was so nonplussed by the the, previous match, the six, the six person tag. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of hate to say that, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why the quality of you know the overall booking matters but once i was able to kind of get a couple minutes into this i started to enjoy it and then it felt like it was too short so again i kind of feel like if the match before hadn't happened (laughs) this would have could have gone on longer and been uh more of a standout for me but you know once i got over that hurdle of like Ugh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not in a great mood right now because of the previous match. Uh, this one was good. So this was the beautiful art of pro wrestling on display, as was the next match. Because yes. Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb need to revisit this more. They could have a rematch every week on Dynamite, and it would be great. This match was four and three quarter stars for me. 
it was all they took the build that was done they were not given the proper build i think we talked about this last week apparently thunder rose has also not been happy with her booking um but they did they did everything with what they were given and they turned out a 17 minute women's championship classic that i want this feud to continue I think Serena Deeb is the perfect foil for Thunder Rosa. I think that she and Thunder Rosa have amazing in-ring chemistry together. I loved everything about this match. I know Thunder Rosa is your favorite wrestler, <laughs> other than, who's not named Kenny Omega. Did, yeah, this, did this send you to wrestling Nirvana? Oh, yeah. It was like from... From the second it started, it was so good. And, you know, I love how many styles of wrestling Thunder Rosa can do and and excel at and do really well. And then because of that, how she can work with anyone. And this was incredible. And, you know, I think since we recorded last time, I really thought about and remembered the... Uh, storyline they had where Thunder Rosa lost the NWA title to Serena Deeb. Mm-hmm. And so this was a callback to that for me. And it was not mentioned in this at all because, you know, I'm sure there's probably uh, hard feelings between Billy Corgan and, and Tony Khan for, you know, how Thunder Rosa came into the company um, after. NWA and AEW had been working together. So I do think that there was like a much larger story in this. It just couldn't really be mentioned, you know, in the commentary or by either wrestler, um, at least that I'm aware of. Maybe it was Mm -hmm. somewhere and I just didn't see it. I didn't see it either. Uh, But yeah, and you know, this, this again, this match could have, you know, easily gone 30 40 60 minutes i mean they both have incredible stamina and had we not had that six person tag um you know the this match could have used those you know at least 10 minutes of that and then had some time added on to kyle and and darby so yeah just awesome it it was it was really really good i give this uh 4.5 stars wow i rated the thunder rose match higher than you did <laughs> that's 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 the most shocking development of the week considering wow. the week we've had uh <laughs> no this 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 was this was amazing this is everything i want out of a thunder robes thunder rose's serena deep match it was psychological it was physical it was technical yes it was it was the beautiful art of pro wrestling again and again this whole thing was was set up by these last five matches they fucking knocked it out of the park because the next match was the beautiful stupidity of pro wrestling (laughs) because this match the anarchy in the arena match was stupid chaotic fun this was what that fucking minneapolis street fight should have been oh mm, good point um, good point but that was ruined because dan lambert was involved in it mm-hmm. 
You ruin everything, Dan, La- Dan Lambert. You're the raisin of human beings. <gasps> wow. I love raisins. I can't believe you said that. Gold raisins are okay. <laughs> Regular raisins are disgusting. <laughs> Especially when baked into cookies. Don't do that. Wow. Wow. I can't I you know I love raisins in either lo- sa- lo- sa- savory or sweet foods. Okay. You're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> You're <sighs> Star of this match is Eddie fucking Kingston. Oh. Uh, oh yeah. All the stuff he did. Everyone's focused on what he did at the end, but he was the person like making the concourse stuff work. Mm -hmm. And it was so good. And soup. Okay. There's so much I want to gush about. First of all, best part of the match, taking Jake Hager out for most of it. (laughs) He comes back in, gets his heat back, does a decent exchange with Brian Danielson because Jake Hager actually can wrestle. He's, middle of the road, but Brian Danielson can make anyone look good. Brian Danielson, Brian Danielson can do can do anything because he's perfect. Um, but Jake Hager being out in the Blackpool Combat Club starting out seeming like they were on top of this match and seeming like they were going to win the match from the very beginning, fantastic. The music continuing to play until Jericho cut the soundboard, brilliant. Mm-hmm. brilliant 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 because the music actually helped this match a lot as wild thing kept playing on a loop because the match didn't really kind of get started matt menard is the mvp of the jericho appreciation society daniel garcia was the workhorse in this match he did amazing fucking shit and every time the camera was on him, it was great. And of course, the whole MVP of the match is Eddie Kingston. Everything yeah. Eddie Kingston did was was brilliant. The gasoline can at the end, forcing Brian Danielson to be like, no, this is not the kind of violence we're into. Danielson screaming, I'm going to kick your fucking head in. And then losing. Um, Santana and Ortiz were brilliant the whole way through. Angela Parker had some really good spots. Everyone got to shine. All ten, All 10 men, even. Jake Hager ended up looking a little bit better. Hager actually got some shine off of this match, and I didn't mind him on Wednesday's Dynamite. That's how good this match was. My opinion slightly raised about Jake Hager. Wow. He's still boring me. But <laughs> this was this was four and three quarter stars. This was it was too messy to get five, but I loved it. I love this match. I would rewatch this match every week. How did how did you feel about this overall? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't take my eyes off of any moment. It was so fun, so exciting. I I was like, what's going to happen next? I was just completely in the moment and you know, AEW, I hope you know what you have in Eddie Kingston. And uh, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. And, you know, this, this, is a, this is a 4.75 for me. Yeah, stars. This, this, this is, and, and big, big ups to the directors and producers of this match and the camera people who were 
making sure this match was properly filmed live as it was happening. Yeah. And we don't think about that when you're watching it the first time, when you're watching it live. Go back and re-watch this match. All these really good cuts, you don't miss almost anything. Now, it's never going to be perfect because it's humans doing it live. And no matter how much you rehearse something like this, chaos rules. But this was the best stupid wrestling match I've seen in a long time. And yeah. make no mistake, it was stupid. <laughs> it was really stupid that this is allowed to exist. And I don't care. I love it. And it's not an insult. It's just, oh, my God, I love this so much. This is so good. I was so entertained. I was so delighted by this and the feud is going to continue we're going to get blood and guts with these two with these two teams and i i think that i i think that this association for daniel garcia is going to make him into a future star i loved everything yeah just, just we could gush about this match for an hour we've already been going for over an hour we still have so much more to talk about <laughs> <sighs> Jurassic Express versus uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and Team Taz for the Tag Team Championships. This was a good palate cleanser after that chaos. Mm. Solid three-way tag team match. Nothing super special, but all of it really well executed. Um, I'm not big on Keith Lee as a tag team wrestler. Because I think he will always overshadow his partner, even someone as great as Swerve Strickland is. Hmm. I was really happy with Ricky Starks in this match. And about three minutes into the match, I was on your side of wanting Team Taz to win. (laughs) But I was also thrilled with the way in which Christian Cage inserted himself into this match. Starting to show heel tendencies because heel christian is my favorite christian take that out of context somebody (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah this this, this, just what did you think about this match yeah this you know this was i was looking forward to this i really wanted to see a title change i didn't get the title change i didn't you know i was 50 50 on whether it would really happen or if it was just, you know, wishful thinking on my part. But, you know, o- overall, like, I-, I would give this four stars. I'm not mm-hmm. the biggest, really not the biggest Jurassic Express fan. I like them and I respect them. But, you know, yeah. I think... I think Jungle Boy Jack Perry is is delightfully amazing. I don't like the way commentary is trying to talk about him bulking up because he looks the same size to me. Yeah, I'm really not. You know, I know that the amount of work that wrestlers put into working out and their overall, like, you know, fitness and stamina is really important, but I'm not a big fan of commentary on people's bodies and Mm -hmm. i think there are better ways to do it where you could you could talk about it in a way that kind of centers on like you know oh they have a new workout routine or whatever i just think there are better ways to do it i don't like it yep um but this was this was a beautiful tag team match this was solid four-star match i agree 
It was a real palate cleanser to the destruction and chaos that we had. And it set up perfectly the last match of the night, which Emily got right in predictions. <laughs> CM Punk beat Hangman Page in a 25-minute, four-and-a-half-star classic. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Excellent match. Even with the slip-ups that were made in the match, because and, and Punk was beating himself up over missing the buckshot lariat. Um, sorry, the Punk shot lariat. <laughs> And the psychology of Adam Page is perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. It is perfect. His his crisis of conscience, which cost him the match, because mm-hmm. yet yeah, he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to dip into it, and mm-hmm. everything about it was great. And the after, I wish they'd actually done this while the pay per view was still running. FTR celebrating with Punk. Mm-hmm. was fantastic. Had they done that on the pay-per-view, that would have been great leading into their their match on Dynamite. But this was this was a pleasant ending of a face versus face. Um it was very it was very reminiscent to me, not of the ending, but rather of the kind of story that Punk and Cena told in twenty eleven. Hmm. that you had two people who, depending on who you talk to, are both faces mm-hmm. having a clash. And in and it was reminiscent of that story, but it wasn't all the same story. Hmm. It wasn't at all the same story. But it remi- And that's why people are talking, we're talking about this being the Summer of Punk 2022, because we had the Summer of Punk in Ring of Honor, we had the Summer of Punk in 2011. Yeah. And now we have Summer of well, we were going to have Summer of Punk again, but we'll get to that. Yeah, so maybe that was, we can have late Summer of Punk. <laughs> let's hope. Let's all hope. Because this was beautiful pro wrestling. This was, again, the art of pro wrestling. As both Hangman and Punk were stealing each other's moves and telling a wonderful story. And the shame of it is that it came at the end of a five and a half hour pay-per-view. And I think that we could have cut this down a little bit. A little bit, because I think some of this could have been main events on Rampage or Dynamite. I mean, a lot of this deserved to be on pay-per-view. But I could have done without America's Top Team versus Kazarian, Guevara, Conti Mm -hmm. on the show at all. I could have done with... You know what? That's the only show I want to cut. That's the only one I want to cut. I want to cut that one and move O'Reilly and Darby Allen to the pre-show where they can have a little bit more time. I think that would improve the overall flow of the, of the match. This was, this was a, as we said, this was a fun pay-per-view. This was exactly what, not every pay-per-view needs to try and be the greatest pay-per-view ever. This was just fun professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before we, I, I wanted to, you know, comment on the Punk and um, Page match. Please. And, you know, the one thing that I really want to say is I've had this emerging working theory about um, the world championship belt bringing out the worst in the person who wins it. 
and having almost sort of like a curse on it, like mm-hmm. not ov- not overtly, but very subtly. And when Paige had that crisis of conscience and was really wondering what to do, and he chose to do the right thing, he he lost the belt in that in that moment. That's when he that's when he really truly lost the match in my mind. And that to me plays into this this belt having a really strong influence on the person who holds it. And so that's all I'm gonna say about that. I just it it furthers my kind of little theory that I have. <laughs> As does what happened to Punk this week. Yes, yeah, which takes it from a uh, to a to a shoot curse. <laughs> yep. So with that, um, this is great. Rewatch this pay per view. Buy it if you didn't buy it. It's still even if we even we spoiled everything for you. There's still so much to watch here. Like this is a rewatchable pay per view. Yeah, I I rewatched a lot of it, and I don't usually do that, so. No, not a lot of time as we're working adults. Right. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up is a new segment. Emily took the hit for the team and watched all of the Double or Nothing Media Scrum. I watched parts of it, and Emily has some analysis for us on the Media Scrum, which was great, but I was really tired and didn't get back to it. <laughs> Emily, talk up the Double or Nothing Media Scrum, please. Yeah, so I'm going to highlight some of the of the the moments by kind of going through who who was uh, talking. So we start with CM Punk, and you know his kind of uh, opening early on statement was something that he he said before: "If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together." And this is to me probably the motto of AEW that everyone really seems to collaborate and work together. And there's this emphasis on elevating others, elevating the divisions, you know, who, whomever the wrestler is. And so for him, for what he, the comments he made in this, and then to be injured and have to have an interim uh, champion, it really, it, it really shows how true that is for him. That you know, um, that w- this company is in it for the long haul of being successful for everyone involved, and you know, that's amazing. That's that's. You know, you're in a competitive business, so you're competing by nature, yet the people involved know that at the end of the day, it's not the competition, it's the collaboration that that makes the magic. So there was a lot of discussion in this on, you know, along those lines of potential, what brings out the best in people. And one of the quotes that uh, that CM Punk had is the the seven years I spent out of the ring wasn't wasted. 
I feel almost that the 10 years I spent in WWE was wasted. I reached the potential that I could have given the limitations they constantly put on me, and I feel here there is no limitation put on myself or anybody. Sky's the limit. I can finally reach my potential. And he summed it up by saying it was 10 years of fighting silly battles and standing on my own dick. I don't do that here. Everybody here can reach their fullest potential. So that is a pretty damning indictment of WWE to to say that, you know, it was time wasted and he commented on, uh, you know, just having to to do what other other people wanted and that not always being the right or often being wrong. So that was a very interesting moment for me. Um, and, it, you know, it's a, sh- it's a shame that he went through that and, and feels like that was wasted. That is, that's hard to hear and it's, it's hard to go through. Um, then uh, we had a question where the person asking it prefaced it by saying, you're not going to like this. Um, I don't, I didn't, the, the, mic, the mic levels weren't quite right throughout some of this media scrum. And I could not hear always like who, like when the person introduced themselves, who they were. So I'm not sure who this was that said this, but, uh, you know, one of the, one of the people there asked about a Twitter war. And to me, it's like, don't do this. It's silly. It's insulting. You have a microphone and a platform and you are literally standing in front of one of the longtime greatest wrestlers in the world, and Tony Khan, the owner of what arguably is the greatest American wrestling company that we've ever had. And you're going to ask about a Twitter war and know that you're being an a-hole and even say, you're not going to like this? Why? I mean, this is wasting their time. And he basically was like, you know, you were... You, CM Punk, were called uh, the biggest financial flop in wrestling. And, you know, Tony Khan came to his defense and explained the financial data on how CM Punk joining uh, has made this huge positive impact on their company, which, you know, CM Punk had, had spoken earlier about you know, he wanted, he wanted the company to make money and succeed so that everyone there was making money and succeeding. And that's what he's, that's what he's been doing. And so I've seen, I've seen blowback on, you know, social media on Reddit for Tony Khan becoming a little impassioned as he continued to go on. You know, he started by just explaining the data. And then I think once he actually explained the data, he realized, how bullshit of a question and comment this was and got a little heated. Um, you know, he sees this data every day and this proof. And so I, you know, I would be pissed off too. And I don't, I don't think he went overboard in this. Um, punk was like, punk just said, I, I didn't have a Twitter war with anyone. And then, you know, it kind of ended with, uh, Tony Khan saying, you know, I hope the answer I gave backed that up. 
So mm-hmm. this was this was a low moment in the media scrum, and I would just say, don't do that if you if you have the opportunity to. I mean, because what what an to opportunity. To be fair to the question asker, though, we're talking about what Eric Bischoff was saying, not just on Twitter, but also on this podcast. Well, right. I yeah. I know that, but I still think that it's a waste of time. It's a, it's a waste of time. It's it's easily disproven not only by the data Tony Khan has, but by the data that we have as a public. So I agree. This this, this was really just. Uh, but it did it did create one of the best moments of the weekend. Because I, I love Tony's rant, and so many other people did too. It got clipped and retweeted, and while there was some drama about it, a lot of people were just like, "Yes." Yeah, I just disagree. I think okay. you know, I I think we could get Tony Khan being passionate about other things and not having I, to de- not having to defend him his his wrestlers, which you know he does. But I mean. I immediately rewound it and watched the whole thing again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I was I, I was just rolling my eyes at this dude and just like, come on, like On Fire ugh. Tony Khan is my favorite thing. <laughs> well, I do I do love passionate Tony Khan and you know, he has every reason mm-hmm. uh to be that passionate about what he's doing. Yep. So the last thing that uh, I wanted to cover from this is that CM Punk talked about age and he said that he used to think, you know, seeing wrestlers in their forties, like, Oh, that, that wrestler is old as shit. Um, but he stated, I'm in my prime and I don't want to use that prime just for me. I want to use the time I have now to tell the best stories. This place makes me better than I've ever been. This is what I dreamed pro wrestling could be in America since I was 15 years old. And, you know, these are not uh, consecutive quotes. These are, mm-hmm. you know, highlight quotes. And I, you know, he's absolutely right. Um, I don't, you know, I'm probably biased because I am in my 40s. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's he's using his incredible skills and his privilege and power to make others look good and you know there is no reason why a wrestler cannot be in their prime in their in their 40s um and he ended up saying i've got tremendous talent that carries me through and makes me look better and you know this this is going to be true of his time off to get his surgery and the interim champion and you know, so he's you he, even even having to be out for an injury, he's still, I think, making uh, great use of his position to elevate and help others. So I really, really enjoyed overall uh, a lot of his commentary, and I you know, I res- I I personally respect him uh, from what he says publicly and how he stands up for others and in other ways. So. Overall, really enjoyed it. And then we got uh, Jade Cargill, mm-hmm. and she just, you know, she's so good on a, on any mic. <laughs> such so amazing. Such a um, star. You such know, she a, such yes, a fucking star. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that I want to highlight here is that 
you know, she gave some credit to uh, uh, Brian. Um, I'm working with one of the best technical wrestlers uh, in wrestling. And we've, we've seen in uh, some video footage her training with him. And it's making a big difference. Um, and her willingness to, to learn and work so hard is making a huge difference. She got some questions about how her life has changed and, you know, compared her previous time um, as an athlete and then just how different the wrestling world is. Um, you know, the fans, the schedule, the long hours, the, com- the commitment. She said it's different and I'm still learning. And, you know, so she's she's not just putting in the work physically to to gain the skills in the ring, but she's also learning and, and putting in the work to uh to to be a, an all around really strong performer and that's that's really impressive. There was some discussion, uh Tony Khan discussed, you know, Stokely Hathaway and being excited about him joining and then kind of his idea of let's put let's put great talkers together. And, you know, I, I think that's brilliant. Like, go, you know, let people work strength to strength. You don't have to put a great talker with someone who isn't a talker. Like, you know, just, just put, put, the, put them together and, and let magic happen. And I, I think that's really exciting and a kind of different uh, idea to me, you know. Um, and then, you know, she talked about uh, elevating the women's division in general. Um, she said, I don't see the point of uh, being the, the king or queen. I wasn't, I, I, the mic wasn't quite good, so I didn't hear exactly what she said. Um, of a division that's nothing, women's wrestling in general needs to progress and get bigger and bigger. And I'm here as a stepping stone for the next generation. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't see her as a stepping stone, but I totally get what she's saying. And I, you know, I think that's probably true of a lot of wrestlers that really want to excel and, and elevate the sport. So, and then, you know, there was kind of a, a funny moment where they discussed the Cody Vader <laughs> and uh, giving it a new name the money lift so we'll see if uh if that's going to return because uh tony khan said it costs three thousand dollars a week (laughs) to operate it so that's a pretty big commitment i did not know that that's you know they could easily hire another wrestler and or backstage couple of backstage people or you know for the amount of money that maintaining an elevator like that costs and then, you know, the the final piece of this is that Jade got a question about appealing to people that are not into wrestling. The the person asking it mentioned his girlfriend loves Jade Cargill. Jade is her favorite wrestler, but she doesn't watch wrestling. And, you know, Jade said, I feel like that's what I'm here for. I want to reach a whole nother demographic that we don't have in wrestling right now. And talked about her hopes to, you know, get into incorporate more fashion, magazines, um, you know, modeling, 
Um, Tony Khan mentioned her star power crosses over like when they go to other sporting events. And yeah, that's you that's something that again, AEW seems to overall work really hard to reach a big diverse audience and not you know cut people out because they they're not already fans you know they they appeal they appeal to people who are hardcore long-term fans that love wrestling and are analytical they appeal to you know families that watch wrestling for fun and entertainment and it's like a generational thing for them and they you know they uh, they also appeal to people that aren't don't fit into any category as a wrestling fan but they see what's going on and they become intrigued and they're like hey i really like this person even if i'm not into wrestling and that's amazing it's it's so valuable and it elevates the it it, ele- it elevates wrestling f- for everyone i think mm-hmm. I think it was. I think it was great. I love Jade Cargill. She is amazing. She doesn't need a mouthpiece, and yet her mouthpieces do so much work for her, mm-hmm. um, and really make really make her out to be a big deal. The fact that she has a manager and a lawyer on hand is gonna like even put more of a big deal target on her back. And we keep talking about Jade's been doing this for two years. Uh, uh-uh. we're wrong about that. Her debut was March 3rd, 2021. She's in her second year. She has not been doing this for two full years yet. Yes, 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 that's, that's correct. amazing just how good she is. Just just absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, she has been doing it a little bit longer than that, but she didn't, she didn't uh, really debut on main TV until March 3rd. And right. so... Yeah, so this is this is a year and three months that Jade Cargill has been ready for TV, and she has gotten better every time she's on TV, every time she's on the mic. She is the perfect person to be sending out for press on a regular basis. She is so polished, so put together, so physically impressive when you see her. Mm-hmm. Like, she looks like a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Not a sports entertainer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Love it, and she's she's just uh, I'm, I'm I'm just taken with everything she does. Um, and we've talked about people's looks being important because it gets it it pulls your eye to them. And we've talked about you know my my list of people like Hook, the Bunny, Jade Cargill, make me want to look at them, mm-hmm. and like what are they gonna do next? Yeah. What's going to happen next? And I love that. So, all right. There was one more part of this. Did, did, did Are you going to cover that or? Yeah, just real quickly. You know, I will say that um, we had a lot of moments of Tony Khan on his own. He talked again a lot about numbers and data and sports in general. Um, but he also, you know, really credited and gave his appreciation to the media, um, and the, peop- the people that were there in the room um, for how they have contributed to the success of AEW, so I thought that was a really nice moment. Uh, we had Jericho talking about, again, appreciation for the production team, and, you know, just some really brilliant moments of how he 
listens to the fans, reads the room, and, you know, crafts things for his character and story out of that uh, zeitgeist of, of what's going on and how AEW um, really, I think, makes that really possible. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about is Tony Khan um, was on his own for, for you know, the, the second half. I would have loved to have seen Athena, some other wrestlers, be on. But he had a moment where he really talked about how things changed for them with the pandemic and how, you know, early on in the pandemic, like, you know, in in March of 20, you know, they had shows where they could only legally have 10 people in the building. And so Tony Khan was the only person working backstage. And then, you know, there would be two wrestlers in the ring. Um, and he talked about, you know, Kenny and, Kenny and Sammy wrestling for 28 minutes in a building by themselves. Um, and so if you have time, if someone has time to, to listen to that, it was very interesting you know, Tony talked to Tony Khan talked about how much he learned about post production from that time period, and it gives a lot of insight into just the the brilliance of the booking that Tony Khan does. That he was, and how it's collaborative because they were still able to make shows that were just really entertaining and frankly really good for the limitations they had of only being able to have 10 people. Um, so that was very interesting. So uh, that was probably around like an hour, I want to say it was like an hour 40, an hour 35 and into the, into the, uh, the video. So very interesting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a lot this the double or nothing in the scrum was really good and all of this stuff was happening but we also had an event and we have to talk about it because we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because it happened after we recorded um there has been trouble brewing behind the scenes in AEW between tony khan and mjf this all stems back from mjf doing an interview with ariel hawani without getting permission from AEW's pr to go do the interview, which he would have gotten if he just asked. There was, this happened two months ago. There was a tiff between Tony Khan and MJF. MJF has been vocally upset about the state of his contract, which turns out he's getting paid nine times less than the WWE talent that has been brought in. And he is, according to the numbers, which Tony Khan knows, the second biggest minute-for-minute minute draw in the company after CM Punk. So, now, this goes back to MJF working for MLW and going into Court Bauer's office, and and this was all reported by Sean Ross Sapp, who is actually one of, the, one of the people who's known MJF the longest in the business. So, he actually has MJF's phone number in his phone. Um, and what happened in MLW is MJF went into Court Bauer's office and said, this is my contract. I've outperformed it. I want more for what I'm doing for you. Court Bauer looked at him, agreed, and gave him what he wanted. Because MJF is absolutely 
always outperforming his contract. And that frustration from MGF in his eyes, as I'm reading all this stuff, and I'm pulling up Fightful Select, which has all the details where everyone else got them for, led to MJF being in what he referred to as a bad place on Saturday, and he no-showed his fan meet-and-greet. At that point, someone, and we still don't know who, booked a flight for MJF out of Las Vegas, and he was at the airport. He had not gotten on that flight. And at the time this was happening, which was about 1 a.m., when uh, Sean Ross Slap went live on Fightful's YouTube channel to talk about this, and this is when the story started breaking, and when I uh, sent you a message on Twitter, it's like, oh shit, MJF has a flight booked out of uh, uh, out of Las Vegas tonight. What the fuck is happening? Um, MJF was very clearly unhappy when he walked out and did his match on Sunday. But there was a big question as to whether or not that match was going to happen. Um, this was not a work at the start, although some AEW wrestlers insist that MJF is always working. They insist that he's everything he does is is part of his character, is part of his work. Um, what seems to have happened since then is that on Monday, MJF and Tony Khan had a meeting. On Wednesday, MJF went out and cut the best promo since the pipe bomb. Did you watch this promo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, was, it was amazing. MJF went from being the biggest heel in the company to being the biggest face in the company in eight minutes. And he did it by doing the one thing you can always do to guarantee that you will get over is he told the fucking truth. Because he's right. He, he gets us by making us feel. Do you ever watch an MJF match and not feel? <laughs> um, I want to I talk about this a little bit because there's a couple of, of selfish things I want to talk about. First of all, um, I love Sean Ross Sapp for various reasons, not the least of which is that he told Val Venus to fuck off after Val Venus made some transphobic comments about Nyla Rose. Because um, mm. Sean Ross Sapp is, is a wonderful human being. And also, he's flirted with me on Twitter before, so. <laughs> uh, make, make a middle-aged trans woman blush, Sean. Um, <laughs> but this, this all came out as people were, as they tend to do. And there are people that you definitely can call out on Twitter. And we had a disagreement on Twitter. It wasn't much of a disagreement where you said that Sean Ross Sapp jumped the gun by reporting this. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, want, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that more because I think this is different philosophies of journalism that are worth talking about. Yeah, I, I think what jumped the gun was the, the airplane discussion and mm -hmm. getting leaked by a WWE source and it create, you know, I, so I don't, I'm not saying that reporting the no-show at the, at the fan event was jumping the gun i think the rest of it and where it where it went with the with the airplane was going too far because you know 
it didn't sound like a verified source. It sounded very sketchy, and it created a lot of, uh, I think, unnecessary stress and drama for fans. And there's a lot in this that blurs the line, and MJF is always in character. And so it's difficult to apply the same kind of reporting that might happen for other wrestlers to him because he's he's one of like he he's just in his own category mm-hmm. and so you know did did the heat that it generated uh create interest or did it just stress out fans and i i think that it would have been more than enough to uh talk about the no show of the fan event and then relate it back to you know the um the the real life person that uh MJF's character draws from and that would have been interesting by itself yep. now so, why I'm bringing this up is I want to talk about some of the backlash that happened around this cuz I think you are fair to say that you think reporting the airplane ticket from the WWE source should have waited and created unnecessary stress in the fans. I think that is a fair comment. I think also that what it did was actually give MJF a better bargaining position because the threat of this match not being blown off at the pay-per-view that is a huge, huge threat to AEW's bottom line. And I think that something that CM Punk said on Twitter about always standing with the talent, always standing with labor over management, is a really good thing. Um, but I bring this up because Brad Shepard, famously fired from WWE and terrible human being, went on his Twitter on May 29th to say, the fake news wrestling media has done a good job of creating buzz online for, the, for an AEW pay-per-view, which had none. First of all, fuck you, Brad Shepard. This pay-per-view had a lot of buzz. Second of all, nothing Sean Ross Sapp or anyone else reporting on this was a lie or fake. All of it was confirmed by multiple sources. So even if... This is the difference between my good friend Emily respectfully disagreeing about when to put a story out and Brad Shepard saying, no, the story was fake. Yeah, that's ridiculous. This was jumped on by another wrestling fan who's sucking Brad Shepard's dick, and I'm not going to use his name because I don't give a fuck about him, who, who wrote, and you can see this on our Twitter if you really want to know about it, Ross Sapp made up MJF purchasing a flight to New Jersey last night. So SRS can make money doing a live reaction show, answering super chats and Patreon subs about the flight. First of all, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say what I wrote back because that's ass nine. One, Sean Ross Sapp never said MJF bought the ticket Two, multiple outlets confirmed the ticket was bought. And three, this person is a lying sack of shit. Shut the fuck up. Um, because whatever you think about 
and and we can have reasonable disagreements about when it's responsible to report something, when it's the right time to report something. There is nothing Sean Ross Sapp has ever reported that isn't backed up by facts and sources. He doesn't troll and gossip. He doesn't talk about people's personal relationships. He doesn't put people losing their jobs behind a paywall. He is super responsible with what he reports, when he reports, how he reports it. We may disagree with his decision to report when he reports what he reports, but he's not being an irresponsible journalist, nor is he making up stories. And to accuse a journalist of making up stories is so far beyond the pale that it just pissed me off. And it is not just that I always have positive, pleasant interactions with Sean Ross Sapp. It is not that I am just a fan of his as a person and as a professional in the way he conducts his business. It is, you don't fucking accuse a journalist of making shit up when they fucking didn't make shit up in the first place. That will always trigger me and piss me the fuck off, and then I'm coming for you. That angered me more than anything else this weekend. And that's why I wanted to talk about this. Because this was a serious issue in a lot of ways. Should MGF, MGF be getting paid as a top guy? Yes. And for the people out there who are like, why is it all about money? He's putting his body and his potential life on the line to entertain you. He should be getting paid for it. And he should be getting paid enough money to live the rest of his life off of when he retires because he's doing a job that is a 24-7 job. I complain about working 80 hours a week. I am not on 24-7. I have breaks. When you are a professional wrestler on the road, you don't have breaks because every moment you're out in the public eye, someone can recognize you. No one knows who the fuck I am. I'm not an important person. So I want these guys and girls to get paid as much as they possibly can. And I will always, much like CM Punk said, I will always be on the side of labor over management. So I think that reporting the story is good. And we disagree about things all the time. We do not see eye to eye on everything. Absolutely. But our friendship is built on having respectful conversations and disagreements as we did. Yeah. And to see people just come out of the woodwork and accuse a person with a very good reputation of doing his due diligence and getting the facts right. Just, yeah, I already said it triggered me. It pissed me right the fuck off and just don't do that. But I want to thank Sean Rossap because when I sent that out, we got the biggest response on Twitter ever. <laughs> we got 115 likes. I'm looking at it right now. Um, we got a whole bunch of followers uh, on on our Twitter on because of of that. And hopefully we have some new listeners. And if you are listening to us because of that, I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope you enjoyed us talking about all of this stuff and about all of these things. And we've been going for almost two hours now. I'm going to ask Emily, do you want to just save the discussion that we have planned for last because we've gone for so long? And let's put let's get that discussion the full time it deserves next week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, okay. I, I, I think this was a good conversation. And I think that the situation highlights again how, you know, in wrestling the and in journalism in general, there's a difference between reporting and having 
opinion and analysis and editorials. And there, there were elements of the situation with MJF that was more editorial than, um, and, and I think that that, in, I think that's true in all news. And so, you know, to, to criticize someone, the, the way that that happened is just unfair because you're yeah. not, you're not looking at the, at the bigger picture. Yep. So. And SRS, if you're listening to this, Emily's criticism of you is totally valid. And I know you make your money off of breaking news and you break a lot of good news and you do your due diligence, but the way that news affects people is also a reason to withhold breaking news. Well, and you have to be careful who your sources are because, Mm -hmm. you know, this thing with the, with the flight, it, it later came out that either it was canceled or it was never booked at all. Mm Mm-hmm by the same source at the airport. So whoever this airport source, source is, this is an unreliable person that should, you know, they they created a lot of, they created this unnecessary drama because to then go and say, oh yeah, it was either canceled or no, actually he didn't book it at all. Okay, so please don't use this source again because this is not, <laughs> you, you can't just, as a source, then go back and say, oh, maybe I was wrong and it wasn't booked. Like, okay, well, no. That's... <laughs> Something else is happening with this source, so... Yeah. And the story continues. MJF has been pulled from AEW's rosters page and his merch has been pulled from the store. It's very... This is very exciting. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll <laughs> see where it goes. It's going to be... It's going to be a great Great story. So much good stuff is happening here. But don't go after journalists doing their jobs. Give yeah. people respectful criticism, but don't accuse journalists who, who have a track record of not making shit up, of making shit up. And I will always, always have the back of Sean Ross Sapp, Denise Salcedo, and all the other people who work for Fightful because they do fucking great work. And they are nice people as long as you're not assholes to them sean ross Sapp is legitimately one of the nicest people so long as you are not an asshole to him i don't know why people are mean to him yeah and i mean they're they're doing their job and as tony khan said in that media scrum and as i mentioned you know tony tony khan appreciates how the wrestling media podcasts uh news sites he he appreciates the work that they do and how that furthers the story and the company and that's an important part of wrestling so you know they're they're doing their jobs and don't don't deserve ever you know personal attacks or or being accused of things when you know instead you could just realize that hey there's you know there's maybe some criticism you can give here but at the end of the day you have to remember that uh you know wrestling blurs the line between yeah. what's a story what's storytelling and what is uh uh reporting so yep and and i want to i also want to mention that even though i did talk about the likes we got off of that tweet um this is what i said in my own personal twitter i did not defend sean ross Sapp for the likes and the clicks yeah we emily and i disagree on whether or not the story should have been reported that's a respectful disagreement we're not we're not and we're not doing this to get popular. 
If we do get popular, great. We're doing this because it means every week I have a guaranteed time to spend with my best friends for one of the last decades and a half and talk about something we both love. <laughs> okay? Yeah. That's yeah. why we do this. Yeah. We do this We're- because it's fun and, you know, we, we deeply respect and like each other and have mm-hmm. for a long time. And we also deeply, deeply love and respect wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is our way of uh, being, being, a part. Par- being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that we get we get some people who like what we do. We got Social Media Abby and Pete Quinnell from WrestleTalk. We got Alice, uh, Alex, Queen of the Ring from Church of Joshi, who love and respect what we do. We thank them so much. It's nice to have the respect of people doing the same kind of content creation that you're doing, especially when those people do it way better than we do it. <laughs> um, but we're not here for clout. We're not here for clicks. We're here to have fun. Yeah. And when I go off on something, I'm not trying to bait people into clicking or into listening to our episodes. I do want you to listen to our episodes. I think you'll have a good time because I think we have great chemistry and I think we do a really nice job talking about stuff. Yeah. But we're not we're not trying to dick ride Sean Ross Sapp and don't you dare accuse us of that because I'll come for you again. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be a tweetality on you because we don't <laughs> we don't fucking take no shit. Um, we're about we're about done with the toxic part of the of the internet wrestling community that's ruining one of the best fandoms, and the people who are the people who are stands of the really toxic people like Brad Shepard, like Jim Cornette. Yeah, I just called Jim Cornette a really toxic person, and his fans, the cult of Cornette, a really toxic group because they are, and he is. Okay. And if you don't like that, fuck you. Stop being toxic. Because you can do this without being toxic. You can do this without being an asshole. You can have, you can have reasonable expectations. And that's why we like, that's why we like Brian Zane, who we're going to do a whole show on sometime soon. That's why we like Wrestle Talk and Cultaholic and What Culture and Fightful, because they really care about what they're doing. And Chris Van Bleet, who's one of the most beautiful, delightful people. <laughs> Uh, doing really great interviews, <laughs> making me like Tyrus of all people, the former Brodus Clay, who's who does fucking shows for Fox News. Oh yeah, I yeah. could not believe that I was enjoying a Tyrus interview. Um, <laughs> but Chris Van Vliet makes me like makes me like a Tyrus interview. So there you go. Um, so many great people out there who are who are doing this better than us. We we hope to live up to the examples they've set for us, and. We're on your side when you're being unfairly attacked. And by the way, if you ever change your ways and start being assholes, then we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and I just want to say too, the toxic, the the toxic part of the community, uh, talk people people acting in abusive and toxic ways. You know, you don't matter to me. You don't exist to me, and you ca- you can't take wrestling away from me because you're irre- you're irrelevant. You are mm-hmm. absolutely irrelevant. So that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, Emily will smite you. She's ordained. <laughs> I am too, but I don't talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah. So there, there it is. That is episode 31 of Anna and Emily's Russell Podcast. We got to do our normal stuff at the end because we do so much other stuff on the Q Girls Network. And we hope that you really check out our shows later tonight. We're going to be recording another episode of Q for Fun, episode 82, as we're kicking off Pride Month. We're going to have a whole bunch of Pride Month interviews with uh, queer and trans women in gaming. And I'm hoping that you will tune into those. They will actually be appearing on this feed, whether you like it or not. 
because I'm going to put them everywhere. Um, we do uh, a, a, we do a show about uh, TVs and movies called View for Fun. We'll be recording that next week. We do a show about anime called Anime Sweater. You can find all these in all your major podcasting apps. We do a show about uh, BTS that's, that's hosted by our good friend Sofra Shea. She is a big uh, member of the BTS army, and she is slowly getting me into army by talking about uh, each one of the seven members of BTS individually. You can follow all of, all of our shows. Um, you can follow this show at Anna Emily Pod. On Twitter, you can follow Q for Fun at Q for Fun. You can follow uh, Anime Sweater at Anime Sweater Pod. You can follow View for Fun at VUFF Podcast. You can follow me at Ann underscore Elise, and you can follow Emily at 8-Bit Emily. And also, we have to shout out, because it's a requirement, you should all go subscribe to, download, and listen to the Gore Podcast, hosted by Wicked Kitten. It is the best podcast any of the five of us are doing. And I mean that sincerely. Wicked Kitten's uh, little horror baby podcast is such a good show. I don't like watching horror movies, but I love listening to people talk about things they're passionate about. And horror movies are fascinating to think about and to talk about. And so I listen to gore instead of watching horror movies. <laughs> and I highly recommend all of you do that. You can email us at, at a and e wrestlepod at gmail.com. And that's probably going to have to do it for us um, because we've been going for over two hours now. This is going to be a fun, very quick edit that I'm going to throw up on the feed. We hope you liked it. Thank you to the new Twitter followers who saw our, our live tweeting of Double or Nothing, which we had a great time doing. Um, we'll do that again. And Emily and I will continue the practice of signing our tweets that are from us and not from the show on the Twitter. Uh, we both have access to it and if there's more stuff you'd like to see us do or cover just hit us up on twitter uh we would love to do more coverage just this week was all about double or nothing and all about the scrum and all about mjf we had we had one more thing planned we're going to bump it to next week to give it the time it deserves because it's a really important topic dealing with women's wrestling and that's something near and dear to our hearts emily anything to add to all the shit i've been saying at the end of the show <laughs> no it's, it's it's all good so thank you for listening yeah, we, we, we love the fact that so many of you have, have found this podcast recently and bumped our numbers up. Again, we're not doing it for the numbers. We're just happy people are here. Um, thank you so much. It does, it does make us feel a little bit better to see our numbers go up. <laughs> um, so thank you again. And uh, let's go ahead and send this crowd home happily. Uh, so without further ado, we'd like to bid you all Adieu and say goodbye and good night. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Kenny! Kenny! <laughs> That's how we'll end it from now and we'll end on Kenny's screens. Kenny! <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, nothing, nothing can ever be as good as, uh, the fans in Japan screaming for Kenny. Just <laughs> the best. I'm letting this go. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>
Craig! <sighs> Sometimes I think we should have Craig on all the time. No, definitely not. <laughs> oh, wait, like Craig would just be, he would just always be there. Well, he is always there. We can we can call him into the room at any time. He's always there. He's always online. He's always in Discord. Wow. So Craig is He's almost omnipresent. He's no or he, he is. is. He I well, I mean you have to call call him mm-hmm. to appear. So I'm not sure like ontologically you can really claim that he's truly omnipresent but he has the potential to be Pan- the pantheon of, of bot gods <laughs> I mean come on that's probably going to happen at some point right probably alright <laughs> wow uh. <laughs> new podcast idea <laughs> yep bot gods bot gods we need, we really need a sixth podcast. New new religious movements in the United States. That, I mean, yep. that could just go forever. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need a fifth great awakening. We did, the others were kind of bad. So, they gave us things we didn't want or need. <laughs> they I'm, tried. They I'm, tried. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't need Seventh-day Adventists trying to tell me that the pyramids are giant grain storages and they're hermetically sealed. Wow. They are not. They are not. I've never heard that. Oh, this was a big thing when Ben Carson was running for president in 2016. Oh, is he a Seventh day Adventist? He is. And he was. Yeah, I don't know anything about him. And he was pushing all of these. He's pushing all of these things. um, And like, oh, yeah. And I believe the Egyptians built the pyramids for grain storage. Because they're hermetically sealed. And no one really knows why the Egyptians built the pyramids or how they built them. Um, yes, we do. And yes, we do. Because it turns, down, turns out the Egyptians wrote everything the fuck down, you idiot. Well, yeah. And I mean, they wrote stuff down inside of their buildings, too. Like, yep. <laughs> I mean. And we have the Rosetta Stone. We can fucking read hieroglyphics. So, I know. Thank you, um, Napoleon. And we also. We also know the buildings they built for grain storage because they did build buildings for grain storage and pyramids aren't hermetically sealed they're not who who the f is gonna put grain inside of a building like that and it's also like i know it's a dry climate but Mm -hmm. if you put grain into a sealed uh like a truly like sealed stone um building it would mildew and mold and like go bad like because whatever moisture is in it would collect inside of there because it wouldn't have the interchange with the dry air outside and And this is why i talked to lutherans who put up pride flags all year round outside their churches and know what (laughs) science is (laughs) yes it's extremely important there are many there are Fair number of scientists that are Lutherans. Yes. <laughs> and Episcopalians. Well, you're not you're not quite on the Unitarian level of it being the ten suggestions, but you're getting close. <laughs> I was a Unitarian in college, early in college. Mm. All right. 
let us <laughs> move on to talk about more important things than God. Sorry, God, but you're not wrestling. <laughs> okay, but there's a lot of God in wrestling. This is true. <laughs> plus, plus, God is 0-1, officially. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, we're not. We're not. That. Officially, no. he's 0-1. Oh my gosh. He was he was officially in a match <laughs> and lost it. Shit, we have like an outtake episode happening right now. <laughs> Bonus. He, 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 le- Bonus. He, left, he left Shawn Michaels out to dry against Vincent Shane. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my mind right now. <laughs> that, was, that was fucking angle. Vince you fucking moron. Oh. Does that offend you as a Christian, Sean? No, it offends me as a wrestling fan. That was the only good. That was the only good part. That was the only good part of that entire program. Was was Sean Sean Michaels complaining about the fucking Katie Vick angle and Triple H putting on a cane mask and pretending to fuck a corpse? Um. <laughs> I just, I don't know, uh, I don't know what, if anything, goes on in Vince's mind. Like, I'm not, like, I, is, does anything happen in his brain? Like, what? This, this is another reason why I listen to Jim Cornette, because Jim Cornette tells all about what happened in creative meetings in the 90s. Oh, oh my gosh. And it's, it, it's, it is exactly what you think and worse. Oh no. And and he's just like I cannot believe I'm having these conversations with grown adult men. Yeah, that sounds absolutely right. That's Yep. Mm-hmm. Which again is why he's a bag of mixed, mixed nuts because some of the stuff he says is very great and I like his anti-Trump rants. But then he can't tell the difference between different Japanese women wrestlers and says stupid racist and sexist things. Ooh, right. Right. Just be all good. Or all bad. Don't give me mixed feelings. Well, he gives me no mixed feelings. I know. He gives me no feelings at all. He's like... Because he doesn't exist to you. He doesn't... I've written him out of my wrestling canon. <laughs> well, in the awesome wrestling universe, he was also taken along with Vince McMahon, so he doesn't exist oh, there either. Wow. Which we need to get back to later on. We'll talk more about that later. All right. Okay. It's episode 31 of Man and Emily Wrestler Podcast. We're going to gush all over... Double or Nothing, which was not as good as the previous three pay-per-views, but it was a lot of fucking fun, and that's all you really ask for. Alright, we're going in five, four, three, two, one.